0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: This is former World Wrestling Federation superstar Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and you are listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. And you better keep doing so because it's time to take out the trash. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast,
2: established 2019, direct from the North Wales coast. His verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling sharp shooter, your host, Stu Palmer. A warm welcome to episode 46, and what an honour and a privilege it is to get this guy on. It's WWE Hall of Famer, and one half of a Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray. Still to this day, the Harlem Heat, one of my favourite tag teams of all time. They innovated, they were ahead of their time. The matches don't date and we talk about all that and so much more from the wrestling days of Stevie Ray. You can catch Stevie on Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray and you can also catch him with Vince Russo on the show Black and White. And previously to that, through title match wrestling, you have Stand Up for Greatness, another show that Stevie did for a very long time. Lots of content, lots of stuff. So let's get right into it. I'll stop rambling. WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Stevie Ray. Enjoy. It's my pleasure to have on WWE Hall of Famer, one half of the Harlem Heat, Mr. Stevie Ray on the show today. How's it going, Stevie?
1: Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. How's lockdown been for you? Uh, But pretty much about like everybody else, man. You know, you take advantages of your downtime. and. Try to make the best of it and keep moving, brother. That's about it. How, how was life growing up in Houston? Just like any other kid growing up in any inner city in the United States of America, man, you know. Uh, just like anywhere else, man. Just try to do what you do and uh, be a kid.
2: <laughs> when, well, I suppose the next question's got to be, when did you start watching pro wrestling?
1: I don't even remember. I've been watching pro wrestling as long as I can remember, man.
2: Which guy? which guys do you remember when you were watching it when you were younger?
1: Oh man, you know, a lot of, you know, back when I was a kid, I just I watched pro wrestling and uh I, I never watched it like, you know. You know, I don't even I don't even remember, man, you know, so <laughs> many great stars back in those days, man. You know what I'm saying? There were so many great stars back in those days. I used to watch I used to watch with my grandparents, you know. And I was telling uh, my grandparents, oh man, I... so many of those guys back in those days, man. I was super little though, so I, I can't remember. But uh whoever they liked, that's who I liked.
2: <laughs> it was a family it was a family gathering for the yeah, for the programs. Exactly. That's, cool. that's a good answer, man. I like that. That's that's cool. Um when did training begin for you? When did you first start training?
1: first started training back in 1989 and uh Ivan Pusky former wrestler opened the school and Scott Casey was his uh head trainer and uh you know we kind of just tried it out for the hell of it man so never thought I would ever have a career at it I just wanted to uh you know it was something to do and end up being a 30-year career so still going today so it's one of those things, man. So that's when I first started in
2: 1989. Was there any noteworthy guys training with you at that time? Other than my brother, no. Right, okay.
1: Yeah, other than my brother, no. Because we, we didn't have, wasn't a lot of people that were really interested in pro wrestling um, like it is now, back in those days. I think we had, I many guys did we have in our group? Because he had just opened and, uh, and it was one female and two people that had come to train to be managers. Uh, Ken, or one guy named Ken, he and I are still friends to this day. Um, I'm trying to think, the other girl, the female, I forgot what her name was. And the guys, you take those two out, I'm trying to see how many guys it was. Maybe 10 of us? Yeah. 10, 11 at the most. And that's that I can remember off the top of my head. It might have been that many, it might not have been that many. But it wasn't, wasn't no, it was not no 30, 40 guys, you know, something like that. It was just a few guys, you know. And that's what happened. Then after that, shortly after that, they went into another class. And shortly after that, the school was closed. So it didn't go, it was, it was only around less than a year.
2: Wow. Short time, man. Short time. Just getting into obviously your first matches. Were you were you super collider straight away? Was that the gimmick when you first started? Uh,
1: yes, that was my first gimmick. Did you come up with that, or did the promoter come up with the gimmick? Yeah, I, I came up with it. You know, back in those days, man, promoters didn't come up with nothing, man. They'd come up with different. They'd come up with things to try to help you out. Some of the guys, but you know everything every back in those days wasn't on on hands- on like they are today, you know and I think that's why I got a such an appreciative uh outlook on how things were because you could really put your, put, your, put your own touches to your gimmicks, you know stuff like that. Whereas today you know it's just like walking on a movie set, you know whatever uh, whatever we got for you, that's what you're going to be. you got to. Pretty much curb your mind to be what somebody else wants you to be. So that was the difference back in those days. I kind of like that.
2: Cool. Obviously, you formed you formed Ebony Experience with Booker. How how was that start starting out being a tag team with Booker?
1: Actually, we had no actually we had no uh, desire to be a tag team with each other. That was brought on by Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert put that whole thing together because I was going down to globally get a tryout and my brother came with me and Eddie Gilbert saw my brother walk in the office with me and was like, who is that? And I was like, oh, that's my brother. And Eddie Gilbert got a flash in his head like, oh, man, what an idea. What if I make these two guys a tag team? And he made us a tag team and the rest is history. We had no desire to be a tag team.
2: Who did, you, who did you enjoy getting in with when you were the the experience? Which guys was it a pleasure getting in there with, tearing it up with?
1: Working with everybody back in Global was great, man. Because we, uh, we were still learning as a tag team. A lot of people thought that we came in as a tag team, and it was, that wasn't the truth. So we had to, that, you know, Global had so many, they had so many veterans. They had so many veterans. And they knew we were getting a push because the crowd was there to see us. So those guys went out of their way to make us look good, the Johnny Manteras, the Black Bart, the uh uh Tim Brooks, Manny Fernandez, you know, uh Perry Jackson and Iceman King Parsons, so many of those guys, man. We we had a lot of fun working in there because they were helping groom us, man, because you know, we hadn't been a tag team. We just started being a tag team. You know? <laughs> we just, so we were like green. We were green uh, had a couple of few years in the business, but we hadn't had any experience of a tag team. So it was like we had been tag teams before, but with other people on different shows, not in global. But, you know, I was always a heel. My brother was always a babyface, but we had we'd never tagged before. So just because of one man's vision, we made a career out of it. That's the professional wrestling business.
2: Yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just to fast forward a little bit. Obviously, I remember you guys fondly when I was a kid growing up in the UK. And I remember you coming in to WCW. How, how, was, how was that getting, getting called to obviously get to WCW? How did you and Booker find it initially?
1: I mean, you know, professional wrestling is a natural progression. Professional wrestling is professional wrestling, whether you're working in a little, little chicken coop or if you're working in front of 20,000 people, you know. So it was a natural progression. The only difference between uh, global and WCW is just a little bit more uh, logistics, a little bit more politics, a little bit more, a lot of the stuff that goes with, you know, bigger business. The work in the ring is the same. The guys, and me and my brother would always look at guys like, okay, this is just another guy. Nobody p- impressed us. We watched people on TV. Once we got good at our craft and we always said, okay, we can go in there and work with anybody. And that's the thing about our mentality. It was like, I don't care if it's the road wars. I don't care if it's Steiner brothers. We didn't care who it was, man. If you yeah. turn, the, turn the green light on, we know what we can do. So big time wrestling never overwhelmed us. Never did. Because we knew we were built for it. Because that's I come from a competitive family. I come from a family of athletes. You know, my mother was an athlete. You know, so looking at things like that, I don't know, we was kind of, kind of unique in that way because we relished. We used to talk with each other in our hotel room. We used to look at stuff and go, man, if we get in the ring with them two guys, we're going to make them look like they're going backwards. You know? And we hadn't even got to the big time yet. We, this is like, we still in global, you know. So, whether it's WWE, whether it was WCW, we didn't care because we always knew we was built for the. We always knew we was built for the big show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What it was like, other than all the other logistics, trend like a bigger show. You know, it's like going from a soap opera to a, a major uh, motion picture. But at the end of the day, you still got to act.
2: Was Sid, was Sid heavily involved in you going over to WCW?
1: Oh yeah, he was. Uh, well, you know, he was kind of like a liaison between WCW uh, and, uh, and and what we were doing at the time, and and Sid was a big part of uh, this angle that he was pretty much pushing at the time. So yes, in that regard, yes.
2: That's cool, man. Yeah, I've read obviously I've read read in the books in in Booker's books about about Sid. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool, man. Just fast forwarding a bit again, how was it having Sherry Martel as part of the part of the team?
1: It was great. That was another one of our ideas. You know, it was great. You know, and we put that whole thing together. Like I, uh, so a lot of things with us didn't happen because of our own ideas. So Sherry did. Sherry was like uh, something. Well, they were trying to find you know different people to be with us. We didn't want anybody with us. So we were getting ready to tell WCW we don't want to manage it. Uh, we knew we were getting, getting ready to get a push and we were going to take advantage of it uh, because we knew we had leverage now that uh, other organizations was looking at us and you know it's like now we're going to start to push the envelope from a business perspective now. And if it hadn't been for Sherry, Giving us the idea, we were going to tell them see, that we don't want to manage it. It just happened to work out that one day we saw her and she was like, Hey, what if I would be your manager? And we looked at each other like, Hey, that'd be a good idea. Let's take it to the office. And we took it to the office, and that's what happened. So, yeah, like, how was it? if it was our idea, it's easy to figure out.
2: Cool. It's cool. Right. Now, obviously, to the first tag team gold that you had against Stars and Stripes. How
1: was how how getting the first gold? Uh, we, we love working with those guys. As far as titles and stuff like that, I, I don't even remember. You know, they told us we had 10 tag team titles, man. I don't even remember them. Uh, and frankly, I told people, and I'll tell you the same thing, I don't even care. My, <laughs> thing, my thing in my mind was getting in the ring and giving the people a good show. Yeah. I, never cared, I never cared about trinkets. I never cared about accolades. I never cared about any of that kind of bullshit. Um, it's cool for the fans, but for me, um, if I brought anything to your life as far as an entertainment basis, that's what I that's what I get off on. Stars and stripes, national, well, I don't care who the people were, bro. I really don't. And I, I hate to sound melancholy, but that's just my attitude.
2: Uh, that's that's fine, man. I don't know I don't know whether I should ask the next question now, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. It was like which which guys did you enjoy tearing it up with in WCW? I'm gonna ask it.
1: It didn't matter to me. That's cool. It didn't matter to me. That's just like asking me, uh, if I got 10 kids, which one I love the most. I love them all. Yeah. I love them all. Each one of them had a indelible mark in my life. But for me to go back and single out which one, blah, blah, man, I don't care about that kind of bullshit. Bro. I really don't. No, I had fun working with everybody. Everybody, it was a blessing to be in the business, working in the business with guys that I admire. And each person that we got in the ring with, I admired them and had super respect for. Them. So that's just how it goes. With me. Now you might ask my brother, he'd tell you something totally different, but that's him. Yep. But with me, I don't care, bro. I don't care. I'm waiting for the next match and the next day and the next program. And hey, let's have some fun. That's just my my mentality.
2: Obviously, Jacqueline became your manager. How did, how did Jacqueline differ to Sherry in terms of managing?
1: Jacqueline was just our manager for a brief time. You know. Yeah. With, all due, with all due respect, it's not even worth talking about in my book because I barely remember it. If you didn't bring it up, I wouldn't even remember it. I don't even know what we did with Jacqueline. I remember her being out there with us and that's about as far as it goes in my mind. I, it was too brief. Sherry was with us for years, for 365 days a year. You know what I mean? It matches that war between pay-per-views, house shows, this, that, and the other. I don't even remember. I remember them putting Jackie with us, but I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it at all, to be honest. I didn't like it at all. Nothing against her. I love Jackie, but I didn't yeah. like it All of it wasn't about Jackie. It was about Sherry. And as far as I'm concerned, we either didn't need her, which they eventually got rid of her with us, which, like I said, nothing toward her. But it's not the look that me and my brother was looking for. They got rid of the look that we was looking for to bring in the look that they thought would look better for us. And it was bullshit. People had gotten used to that, just like taking Paul Ellery from the Road Warriors and bring in fucking um, uh, the Blue Meanie. Nobody's going to buy it. No. Nobody buy it.
2: no comparison?
1: Not at all. Other than the fact that there were two women, it's no comparison. That's the thing about professional wrestling. Your perception might not be the same for the perception of the people. Because once the people buy a certain thing, that's what they're looking for. It's still entertainment. NWO Hollywood.
2: How, how was it? being a part of the
1: NW stuff that we did that was pretty funny and pretty cool and I, I was just fed up with doing so much bullshit because it was like this the, the 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 tag team thing was really burning out because WCW wasn't pushing the tag team thing no more it was pushing so much other bullshit uh um, with all these great minds that was running things you know with everything that was going on so you know okay now I'm like I'm frustrated with everything you know shit the Sherry thing I I didn't even want to do Harlem Heat anymore without Sherry I didn't want to do it anymore you know and we and and being Harlem Heat was starting to regurgitate itself over and over again doing the same shit working with the same people and So when the NWO thing came around, you know, and they put me in NWO, I really enjoyed it because it was something different than what I had been doing. And that was cool. But, you know, as as usual, WCW, you know, ran that bull crap in the ground. So, you know, now I'm looking at a company like, okay, this company is not going to last too much longer because there's too much bull crap going on here. So now you just want to get in where you fit in and do what you can do. So that was my whole attitude about the whole thing, man.
2: You you feud, you feuded with Booker latterly, didn't you? With Harlem Harlem Heat. How was yeah. it having a big T and yeah. the guys with you?
1: Hey, it was cool. You know, like I said, all of that was good. Anything that when I wasn't doing the tag team thing, I was good. You know, because it was different, and I was trying to get my own personality out there, also.
0: It's that age-old question that we all ponder, is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is, I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines, and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com, but I always get questions about various things I've did through the years to propel my career to where it is today as the world's most recognizable Journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called Is Wrestling Fixed? I Didn't Know It Was Broken. It's a great read got great views and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too so the answer to is wrestling fixed you know it now i didn't know it was broken this is bill apter and i'll see you at the matches
1: gtg often imitated but never duplicated You're kind of broad at the shoulder narrow at the hip no other promotion give us any lift we the best of the best the beasts of the east s-o-s simply out of sight G T G.
2: When he said, good times go to you. Went into commentating on Thunder. Who who approached you and how how was how was doing the commentary, being out the ring?
1: That's another thing, brother, I don't fucking remember. <laughs> That's another thing I don't remember, man. I just remember what I I was in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah doing a house show and uh, a fax a fax came saying, uh, Stevie, Stevie Ray, you've been one of the people chosen to be, that been considered for doing color commentary. And I'm like, I get this fax. Now, first of all, I'm trying to figure out how did somebody know what hotel I'm staying in to get a fax in Salt Lake City, Utah? I don't even know how that went down. So... Uh, Cause I'm getting ready to go home. This is my last day on the road. So I'm getting ready to go home for a couple of days. And I get this fax in, you know, being, uh, wherever they were and, uh, come prepared to do an audition. I'm like, of all people, why they, I've never gave any inkling of wanting to be in commentary. Then again, I have, I had talked with some of the boys about what guys didn't realize back in the day when I was coming out of high school, I used to, I used to want to radio and I wanted to be a DJ. And I don't know if someone told the off guys in the office that or whatever. And I used to commentate the, the wrestling matches in the back and the boys in the dressing room and stuff like that, making them laugh. different Cause I would imitate different commentaries in different wrestling organizations. They would ask me to, hey, do Gordon Solely, and I would do Gordon Sully, well, I don't do some so much on it. Gordon Solely you know and the guys they would make the guys laugh. <laughs> you know, so let's the guy who just laugh, 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 you know what I'm saying? So that's the way we entertained ourselves in the dressing room. So I go from Salt Lake City, Utah, I think they was having a show in Atlanta. So I go in, I got my nice clothes on. I go down the studio. I go down to the studio. So studio. Someone said, No, they're not doing it. They're gonna do it down at the building. And I'm like, down at the building. They said, Yeah, you need to come down to the building. I go down to the building. And nobody's talking to me. Is it like everybody running around like a chicken with their heads cut off? And I'm like, when do I talk to somebody about this audition? Because I'm gonna tell you what was going to happen. I'm gonna tell you what I was gonna do with this audition. I was gonna mess this audition up so bad that everybody was gonna say it's no way possible that this guy could be doing commentary, you know what I'm saying? But I, So I'm waiting to mess it up. That's what I was gonna do. I was gonna mess it up on purpose. And finally, that's when Vince Russo was in charge. I stopped, I see him running around. You gotta realize when you're doing a big show like a Monday Nitro, it's people everywhere. You know what I'm saying? It's people everywhere. I see Vince. I stop him. I go, Vince. Can I talk to you Vince? He said, "Yeah, hey, what's up, Steve?" I said, uh, "Man, what, what do I do this audition?" He was like, "Well, we scrapped the audition." Then I'm like, "Ooh, yeah, cool. I'm <laughs> gonna go get, get, get home." You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> cool. <laughs> and he said, "You're starting tonight." Oh no! And I'm like, starting, starting, starting what? You're gonna be on color tonight. I'm like. I, I'm not prepared for nothing. This is why I'm not prepared. I don't know what other guys are doing on the show. See, a lot of people think they may do now. Whatever angle I'm in, right at that time, I was doing the thing with uh, Harlem Heat 2000. Mm-hmm. Me, Austin, and Big Teddy, cause we was having an angle with my brother, okay? So, outside of that, I don't know what anybody else Ankles are because I'm, I'm not watching them or paying attention to them. So if you want me to go out and commentate about I don't know what these guys have been doing for the last few months, you know, so I'm like So I go out and just wing it man, and I tell Tony and Mike today and whoever else uh, Mark Madden Hey, man, keep me up. Keep me up to speed and then Once I became the guy I thought I was just gonna work that night And then somebody else to do it next week and then somebody else to do it. next. No they was like, no, you're the guy, man. So that's how the, so I had to start going back to my roots. It was when I was a kid, wanting to be in radio, and doing my notes and seeing what everybody's doing and what I'm going to say about everybody and what vernacular I'm going to use and things of that nature. And, you know, all those years later, man, it all came back because of, you know, that's a true story. Now, I remember that like it was yesterday because it was like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that was a good. Crazy. That was a good answer on that one.
2: <laughs> so, I can it's remember right. that. It's all right, Mom. It's all right. Right. Obviously you sort of touched upon the fact you knew WCW was doomed. Yeah yeah. What what were the telltale signs
1: from your perspective? I mean, it was just so it's more of a feel. It's more of a feel. It was just getting so bizarre from when we first came in. In the early 90s to the late 90s and early 2000s, man, it was just like a bizarro world. It was just, oh my God, man, it it, it was crazy. And it was like, there's no way. Me and, uh, me and Teddy Long, two years before it even stopped, me and Teddy Long used to have conversations like, you know, there's no way this can continue, bro. There's no way. It's just like a, you know, when you keep tabs of a, Certain branches of the government and certain parts of the government is like okay, uh, the, uh, the Pentagon just lost you know uh, you know two point three trillion dollars. What did the two point three trillion dollars go? How do you lose that much money? Well, somebody's going to investigate that. You know what I'm saying? And that's I can kind of relate it to those kind of things in the government. You know, it's like I think people just taking you know, taking liberties upon things that they could do and get away with it. But you know eventually somebody's going to figure it out. So that is why I thought it was going to come to an end eventually. Do you think Russo
2: unfairly gets all the criticism from people about it folding? Yes, I do. Who, who else, if, if you could say, like, maybe who else would you have held to account for the guys?
1: No, I, I hold a whole company accountable. Yeah. Because If you're not doing something for the good of the company, if you look at all the angles that was going on and different guys calling their own angles and stuff like that, if it's not for the good of the company and it's good for certain guys trying to keep their names prevalent, then what what are you going to get out of that, bro? This is big business. Not only is it big-time professional wrestling, it's big business. And you can only look at big businesses in one way. You cannot look at it in an individual way. You can't. No big conglomerate does that. No big conglomerate. It's not a wrestling thing. It's a business thing. People want to break it down to this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, when you got, when you, uh, if your mindset is not for the betterment of the company, ask any CEO, okay, of any big conglomerate, what happens to him if if he's not there for the company and the shareholders and all that stuff? What happens? You're not, you're not going to be around very long. Okay, then we got Time Warner that had just partnered with uh, Turner Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So you think Time Warner got to be the biggest media conglomerate in the world by sitting at the bus station and watching the bus go by? Really? No, they didn't get that big by sitting at the bus stop, bro. They got that big because they pay attention to what detail. It's that simple. It's just business. I mean, people can feel bad about the board and the wrestling and all and all. At the end of the day, America is ran by numbers. Numbers, not body slams. America is ran by numbers, period. And I'm quite sure Great Britain is too.
2: <laughs> it's just, yeah, chaos at the moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest.
2: About, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, were, you, were you semi-retired, obviously, once WCW had gone? Were you, were you in semi-retirement at the time?
1: I, actually, what I was doing was I was doing independence and I was doing, going back and forth overseas. For like three and a half years and that's I, well yeah for like three and a half years and like to 2004 right in there and and I loved that I loved it man just going back and forth overseas and coming home and working a few independents because I had a couple of small businesses I had to attend to so I could I didn't want to be on the I didn't want to be on the road anymore and people ask me why didn't I go to W. WWE, and I was like, well, I knew WWE was going to try to make us look like, you know, bumbling idiots or something like that, and I just didn't have the mentality for that. You know, so I started going back and forth overseas for this Australian company and a, and a couple of other uh, uh, different uh, companies and stuff like that, and I just loved it, man, because it didn't have the, the uh, pressure of the bullshit from that was going down in WCW anymore. So it was like I was released from uh, drug rehab, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like I was released from drug rehab, you know, and I got freedom to do what I want now, and that's I loved it, man. I loved it. Your own, your own boss, ultimately. Huh? Your own boss doing well, that. Well, you know, you always got a boss, but, you know, you don't have all the other responsibilities that come with American good-time wrestling, you know what I'm saying? You just do what you do. Uh, work a few days a week. Um, they got a bus for you. They got a hotel for you. They give you a pre damn, you know what I'm saying? And it's like you just kick it with the boys and, hey, none of this ratings thing with WWE. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you got to have a good match and a bunch of dumb shit, you know, like people were doing. It, it was just freedom. It was just freedom to just enjoy professional wrestling again. Just enjoy it. And that's what I like doing. And it gave me more time to be at home with my, with my daughter, who was about eight years old at the time, seven, seven, eight years old at the time. So it gave me and and to uh, oversee my businesses at the same time.
2: That's cool, man. Nice, nice. You and Booker set up the Pro Wrestling Academy in Houston. So how was it, it bringing through the stars of the future and working with them and getting guys trained? How was how that for, for you and Booker?
1: Well, you know, it. Uh, I got a couple of guys, that, you know, got a lot of talent coming out of that. But the guys these days, man, they just don't get it psychologically, you know. And that was frustrating also, you know. These kids, everybody think they're going to be the next Hulk Hogan. And, you know, they come in with that that mindset. And I don't have the patience for it, man. I just didn't have the patience for it, especially with everything else I had going on. So I kind of like slowly but surely got away from that also. You know, when it comes to anything professional wrestling after that, you know, after a few years of that, anything in professional wrestling, miss me with it. Miss me. Miss me with it. Because I don't need it in my life. You know? So, uh, I, 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 you know, between my businesses and stuff like that and, my, you know, my travels and stuff. And, you know, still going out doing uh, appearances and, you know, a few house, I mean, do independent shows and this, that, and the other. That was enough for me. Mm-hmm. That was enough because, like I said, I had my detail shop I was running. I had my truck company. So it was just too much. It was just too much on the plate. So uh, anything that had anything to do with professional wrestling, missed me with it because it's too much of a headache.
2: Um, what advice would you give to these guys coming into the business these days? Obviously, you've said, like, where they're going wrong. What
1: would be Stevie Ray's advice? Try to find an honest person that's going to train you. Try to find somebody who's going to train you the right way because your chances of making it to the big time nowadays are, oh, my God, few and far between. But if you just want to get into the business and just enjoy the business because you always want to be a professional wrestler, hey, do it. But like I said, because of social media and because of the television climate, just because of how people are today, you know, the business, I don't even recognize the business anymore. I don't even recognize it. It is something totally foreign from when I came up in it. Totally foreign. And that's about, a, that's about the best advice I can give. And try to find somebody honest. It's gonna be, because you got guys today that are teaching people how to be professional wrestlers that's never did anything in this business. I mean, they were barely trained in the business, and they're already training other people. So that stuff, I don't even recognize, man. I don't even sell it, man. So it's crazy, man. It's crazy.
2: How just to come away from wrestling a bit, obviously the, the shows you were talking about wrestling. How was how was it going into TV and and doing the podcast side, and radio?
1: Oh man, I enjoy all of that. I used to uh, actually that's what I was going to pursue, man, back in my younger days, and I didn't really know that I still had an interest in it, man. Till I started doing, it, man, and it brought back a lot of love interest that it was dormant within myself, and. Oh, no, I mean, I'm really enjoying it now, man. Straight shooting with Stevie Ray. As you can see, I'm in my dungeon right now. Uh, straight shooting with Stevie Ray is, wow, you know, it's gaining momentum. And the uh, other podcasts that I was doing that I stopped doing to do this was our stand up for greatness. And stand up for greatness, man. I, you know, the clips are still, some of the clips still got over a million hits. and You know what I'm saying? And it's just like giving back to the business in, that, in this way. And uh, I'm doing radio again. Uh, on the Edge Network here in Houston that I uh, live in, and and you know my business is on kind of like hiatus right now because of the COVID nineteen. Yeah, and uh, this stuff is taking off like crazy right now, man. So I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying myself right now. I really am, man. and and uh, yeah, I'm having so much fun, man, with some of the interviews and stuff that I'm doing with people. And it's it's uh, once it hits right now, I'm just gathering content. <laughs> Actually, I'll be uh, uh, going over a bunch of shows today and see how we're going to edit them because we're getting ready to put everything on my Patreon channel, and uh, we're getting ready to—you know—I just started a new YouTube channel. I started my own YouTube channel, and uh, I'm going to be putting clips of the new show out on that, so they'll be able to see some of the old stuff and the new stuff, and it's going to be—it's going to be great, man. I got great feelings about it. I also do a uh, a a podcast with uh, Vince Russo uh that we call Black and White and that show has taken off like like a you know house of fire you know because of me of course but I'll i give him credit for coming up with the idea but uh we're having a lot of fun with it man so um it's hey it's everything's going good man everything's going good.
2: How how is it gotten you know, going into the Hall of Fame in 2019 with Booker as the Harlem Heat, getting that recognition,
1: how was that for you, man? Oh, that was great, man. That was great. And that's another thing, I, you know, people always just come up and ask me about the Hall of Fame, and I'm like, man, I don't think about that kind of stuff, man. It's, it is what it is. I barely even watch professional wrestling anymore, man. You know, so, so, you know, it's hard for me to sit down and just watch a wrestling show like I did years and years and years ago because once you're in a business, I used to hear basketball players and football players, I don't know about soccer, that's more you guys' thing, and say, oh, man, I don't really watch football very much anymore, and I, or basketball, and I go, wow, how not? You used to play the game, but then when it happened to me, then I was like, okay, now I see why. It's not the same when you've been a participant in something for a zillion years. You, you know, you're not a fan anymore. You're a fan, but a different kind of fan. You're a fan before you get into something. Once you do something like that, you're not a real fan anymore. You just watch it because it's something to do. And I never thought I would ever have that feeling, man. So when people would ask me about the Hall of Fame, and I'm like, Hall of Fame, man. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think about stuff like that. And then when they called me and said, I'm going in the Hall of Fame, I was like, it just blew me away, bro. It just blew me because I'm like, I, people still people still had this infinity for Harlem Heat man I didn't realize how much an indelible mark that you had left on people yeah. I didn't realize I never thought about it very much I really didn't so it kind of blew my mind man when when, uh, when all that happened bro but it was a blessing
2: timeless your style together
1: I appreciate that
2: the matches the matches still hold up now and like you say, about these guys not paying attention and like you know, how it's changed. They just they need, to watch, they need to watch what you guys are doing. I'm not saying copy it, but just no. the psychology. The psychology is missing. That's what a lot of the pros and ex-pros say.
1: Well, that's, they're tr- that's true, and I agree with that also. But the psychology of anything is not based on the workers. It's based on the people that's putting the shows out there because they don't want any psychology anymore, because people don't have the patience for psychology anymore, because that's how they've been trained to watch a wrestling match. It's just like watching, uh, you know, you look at a movie from the 60s or 50s or 70s. A movie was a slow-paced movie. You look at a movie like Jaws, And it took a long time for them to get to the big finish where they're chasing the fish and stuff like that. But then you look look at a movie today like The Meg, which is about a giant uh, megalodon shark. Well, it's 50,000 things happening in this movie from beginning to end. And they're both about the exact same thing. One, you had to really listen to the dialogue to understand where this movie is going. The other one, you don't. So you can actually take that same psychology and put it toward matches today because that's what people have been pretty much, you know, psychologically in their mind where it is. So grabbing a hole or baby face, really trying to get a hot tag means nothing. But that's the evolution of entertainment. That's just the evolution. And it's not just pro wrestling. It's, I'm a big race fan. I know you got big Formula One guys over there, over here in the States. NASCAR actually uh, drives, you know, the sport here. You know what they promote now? When a NASCAR commercial is coming on? How many wrecks and accidents? That's what's going to be on the commercial. A car flipping and stuff like that. So they're not enticing you with competition. What are they enticing you with? You see what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Now, back in the day, you see, the NASCAR commercials, it was about the big finish. Who got who at the big finish? You see what I'm saying? So why is that?
2: Yeah, it doesn't make Yeah, doesn't make sense.
1: Well, that's the difference. That's the evolution. Whereas paying customers and and which are the uh, sponsors used to want to stay away from that. Well, hey, I got to do anything to get this bottom line now. So I don't care if you show a man flipping and maybe got killed in an accident or damn near got killed. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. Like I said before, what is America ran by? Numbers. Bottom line. So at the end of the day, for a guy gets in a match and they're doing 50,000 different things and jumping off the top of the Empire State Building, hey, you break your neck, whatever. Next man up. Because the bottom line is what—that is what we have programmed the people to want to see. So then when you so when you save, uh, the guys don't know. Well, they're not trained to know. Psychology is not even a part of the business anymore. So it is what it is, man. That's the best I can put it to people.
2: Stevie could you please plug, plug your social media for the viewers and the listeners? And then obviously uh, plug, plug the show again as well, please. That'd be nice so the listeners can find you.
1: Uh, well, stand up for greatness. You know, you can go and uh, see a bunch of that stuff on the Title, net, title Match Network. Straight shooting with Stevie Ray is on the Realm Network. You know, I'll be coming out with, uh, you know, I'm taping right now, you know, I'm in my budget right now. And uh, the world's most dangerous podcast, man, and I got some of the best episodes. People can go stay tuned for that, Stand Up For Greatness. It'll be on every podcast outlet out there. So be looking for that, you know, Real Stevie Ray on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can reach Stevie Ray athlete. And, uh, you know, I cover all bases. And, hey, you can find me, brother. All you got to do is punch Stevie Ray in. One of them is going to come up one way or another. So. There it is, man. There it is.
2: That's cool. That's cool, man. Right, my guest on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today, WWE Hall of Famer, and one half of the Harlem Heat, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, Mr. Stevie Ray. Thank you very much for coming on, man. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, guys.
2: A big thank you to Stephen Ash and Ed Dowling for producing the track. It's Stu's Wrestling Podcast, the theme. So thank you very much for that, lads. Much appreciated, love it, It fits really well, so cheers, thanks to you. Big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro, as always, superb, superb. Chris Dutton, thank you very much for editing once again, appreciate it, buddy. And also to Lee, who does my website, Lee puts the stuff up on the website, without you guys, I'd be screwed, so once again, as always, appreciate everything you do for me, and the time you spend doing the things you do for me, means a lot, guys. Network.